0: Hello and welcome to Saving Lives in Slow Motion. Today I'd like to talk about allergies. Now, if there's one area in medicine that has absolutely exploded over the last 25 years, it's allergies. And I don't just mean uh, people who suffer with them. I also mean the knowledge that we have as a profession has increased no end. In fact, when I was at medical school, um, the book that we had on immunology, which is the study of the immune system, was probably about 100 pages long, and it was an emerging new science, if you like. Nowadays, almost every single disease can be explained immunologically. And that really wasn't the case uh, when I started medical school. And there's no area that is more relevant to the immune system than allergies. So in this episode, I'm gonna look at why allergies seem to be on the rise, what the difference between allergy and intolerance is, and what we can do about them. So the first thing I noticed in my medical training was many years ago, There was no specialty called allergy medicine, unbelievably, so depending on which part of your body was affected, that particular specialty would have a go at those allergies. For example, if it was an allergy that affected your nose or throat an ENT specialist would deal with that. If it was something that affected your stomach, then a gastroenterologist would have a go at that. And if it was your chest, then a respiratory consultant would have a go at dealing with your respiratory allergies. But as time's gone on, what's happened is that allergy has become a specialty in itself, because it's so common now. When I first started as a GP, cow's milk protein allergy was pretty rare. Now, around 1 in 20 babies who are born are affected with it. That's just one example. So I guess it's important to just define what allergy is very quickly. I think most of us have a pretty good idea. But essentially, it's a result of our immune system's response to a substance. And that response can range from being very mild, you know, like a a runny nose, to something life-threatening known as anaphylaxis. So true allergy is something not to be sniffed at, and I say this because um, we live in a world where words get bandied around very commonly, and also the degree of allergy can vary, so it's really important to take them seriously and understand that certain types of allergies are absolutely life-threatening. And, I, you know, I'm, I have a really distinct memory of seeing someone go through an anaphylactic reaction and be in A&E injecting hydrocortisone, adrenaline and an antihistamine through their veins and actually just watching all of it calm down. It's just an amazing thing. I mean, really one of the few times that you can sort of actually say that you've saved a life. But leaving that aside for a minute. Why do allergies occur and why are they increasing? Well, part of it, in very simplistic terms, is our immune system seeing something that is actually harmless and and recognizing it as something that is harmful. And as a result, creates this immune response, a cascade of events, if you like, which involves various types of cells and an outpouring of inflammatory mediators It's often known as the allergic cascade, and I'll post a link to this in the show notes so that you can have a look at what I mean. But how does it happen in the first place, and why is it on the rise? Well, one of the popularly touted theories is something called the Hygiene Hypothesis by David Strachan, which was proposed in 1989, and that was really based on the inverse relationship between common infections and how they're less common these days, for example hepatitis A or tuberculosis and that somehow our immune system, because it's not exposed to those things as much, malfunctions because on the other side there's been a massive increase in allergies and autoimmune conditions. Hmm, That theory has fallen out of favour in recent years because in actual fact being exposed to those conditions didn't necessarily decrease um, anyone's risk of developing allergies. In fact, in some cases, it increases the risk of allergy. Then there's something called the old friends hypothesis or old friends theory proposed by Graham Rook. And this is all to do with babies and what they're exposed to in early life. And the theory here is that if you're exposed to a wide range of bugs, and I'm I'm not talking about infectious diseases like I was with the hygiene hypothesis. I'm talking more about everyday microbes that are actually harmless then that exposure, the broader that exposure is in early life, the more protected the child is from developing allergies. And if you think of the modern world, particularly in in very developed countries, we are not exposed to as many microbes as we may have been hundreds of years ago. And that means our immune system doesn't understand what it can tolerate isn't educated, if you like, from early life, and then overreacts, if you like, in terms of an allergic reaction. I mean, this is so interesting, isn't it? Because that's, again, still a theory. And to me, it makes sense, because we know that our gut flora, the bugs in our gut, are the food, if you like, for our immune system, most of which is in the gut. And so that Early life exposure to microbes has an effect on our microbiome, our gut bugs, if you like. And so that theory makes sense to me. And if you look at the things that seem to be linked to predisposing someone to allergy, for example, not being breastfed or being born by cesarean section, um, or really having an insult to your gut flora in early life, seems... Um, I mean, those factors seem to predispose someone to developing allergy. So if we bring that theory into the modern day, what we do know from studies is that every generation that is born seems to be born with poorer gut flora. And this would explain why babies nowadays um, can be allergic to cow's milk at birth. Now, that that type of allergy is not always necessarily life-threatening there's another type of allergy called a non-IgE allergy which again I'll post links to in the show notes so just to recap here you know for example people might be listening thinking hang on why does having a cesarean section increase your risk of allergy well if you go through the birth canal during birth then you are in contact with a lot of bacteria and baby will sort of ingest some of that bacteria, which can be protective. This is what I meant by microbes in early life. And actually there is also research that children who grow up on farms or have pets when they're young are also less likely to develop allergy, because essentially they're being exposed to these microbes in early life. There's also been a bit of a shift in thinking when it comes to food allergy. So... The old thinking was, for example, take peanut allergy, uh, was that you should avoid giving your child peanuts for almost as long as possible and introduce them late. But now the thinking is that you should introduce those allergenic foods, the ones that are, are renowned for causing allergies, as early as possible. That brings me nicely on to food allergies and intolerances. I mean, essentially, medically speaking, when you look at what's going on in your blood, Um, If we go back to the example of cow's milk protein allergy, um, so a lot of babies have have this at birth or shortly after birth or sometimes develop it in the first year of of life. And the commonest type is something called non-IgE allergy. So you have a child who has eczema, bloating, reflux, just generally unhappy, and you remove cow's milk from their diet and they're completely different you know you've got a much better child in terms of symptoms and what is the difference between an intolerance and an allergy well I think it depends what you're looking at intolerance um, is not the same as true allergy and and what what does that mean it means that you know intolerance isn't going to harm you like an allergy potentially could certainly an intolerance can't be life-threatening but there's something going on Um, with an intolerance because your body is reacting to certain foods now there can be a whole host of reasons for that you might be lacking an enzyme that digests a particular type of food so a very common one is people who can't digest lactose which is the sugar in, in milk because they're lacking lactase which is the enzyme that digests lactose so that group of people every time they drink milk will probably have loose stools and tummy ache and and not feel well. But that's not an allergy. That's as a result of a missing ingredient, if you like, in terms of what you need to digest milk properly. There are also other types of reactions. There's something called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So if you have celiac disease, you're actually allergic to gluten or, or gliadin, which is a part of gluten, the protein in bread and wheat products. And that's a true allergy. But there are lots of people out there who do not have celiac disease that seem to react every time they eat anything with gluten in it. Now, is that an intolerance? Well, in terms of, you know, everyday language, I guess you could call it that. But what's actually happening to that group is that they're getting some sort of partial immune response, a little bit like um, the non-IgE cow's milk protein allergy where your immune system's not 100% happy but you don't have a full-blown allergy. And these things um are relatively common. Some people get it after eating eggs, some people get it after eating certain vegetables and others get it after, you know, wheat and dairy. It's very likely that this is a case of something called molecular mimicry. It's a fascinating concept, so those of you listening who have um birch pollen allergy which is really common by the way it's a really common cause of hay fever inverted commas up to a quarter of cases are also likely to have something called oral allergy syndrome which is where your lips tingle or swell up when you eat certain fruits like apples or cherries or um, peaches and plums what is going on there well it's a case of mistaken identity so the surface proteins of birch pollen and those fruits that i just mentioned look very similar to the immune system so when it encounters either of them it will react so again that's not an intolerance to those uh fruits that is actually a type of allergy so it's it's quite confusing this um and I, i wanted to spend a few minutes on it because I think a lot of medics struggle with it. I certainly did years ago. So what can we do about allergies? Well, the first thing is take them seriously because severe reactions um, can get worse and it's really important to make sure that if there's a potentially life-threatening allergy that... um, The person involved carries an EpiPen and is careful to make people around them aware that they have this allergy. The second is um, an interesting one, actually. So vitamin D seems to be involved in allergy prevention. So in general, our vitamin D levels are lower these days than they were historically. And there appears to be a role for vitamin D in immune system support. So making sure that your vitamin D levels are topped up is a good strategy. That's to prevent allergies. And I've certainly had patients over the years who've had urticaria, which is a skin type of allergy. Um, Often if you don't find a cause, it's called idiopathic urticaria, and it has totally burnt out with vitamin D supplementation. Um, Actually, they were almost always low on vitamin D, but once they actually were replete with quite high doses initially that seem to work well. So the other thing is simply avoiding any allergens that you know really trigger you. What about treatments? Well, a lot of people carry antihistamines with them, which is sensible, because histamine is one of the chemical mediators that is released during an allergic reaction, so it reduces that. There's a form of treatment called immunotherapy as well, so the most interesting version of this that you'll hear bandied about is the one about taking local honey um to prevent hay fever from bee pollen and when i say bee pollen i mean you know pollen from brightly colored you know flowers now if that worked that is a form of immunotherapy so you're essentially challenging your immune system with this allergen in in very small doses because obviously the honey will contain some of that pollen and so when it comes to the season when these um, you know, flowers are in bloom, you're less likely to react to them. It, in theory, it's great. I don't know how much evidence there is on that because most people are not particularly allergic to that kind of pollen. But the principle of immunotherapy is great. It essentially desensitises your immune system so that it burns out the allergy. And certainly I've, I've seen it used for things like hay fever or house dust mite allergy. And what do you do if you've already got allergies that are, you know, say you've got hay fever, for example, or you have atopic dermatitis, which is a type of eczema, which is linked to allergies. How can you improve those? Well, it's boringly simple, really. You just do all the basics right. So eat well, avoid processed foods, get to sleep early, all the stuff that you know, and, of course, top up your vitamin D. There's a little bit of evidence that omega-3 fatty acids can reduce allergy symptoms. And again, it goes back to nutrients, doesn't it? And having a diet that is rich in nutrients, rich in vitamin C and flavonoids, you know, things like berries are also packed full of nutrients. Those things work with your body and your immune system. So you're less likely to get an allergic or inflammatory response if you're eating those things regularly. An allergy is one of those. And I must stress when I say that, you know, I'm talking about mild allergies, not the life-threatening ones. And, you know, if if you've been through that process of being tested for allergies and you're not really sure what's going on, and particularly with food-type allergies, um, it's always worth trying an elimination diet for 21 days or or a month so if you've got a, a hunch that there's a certain food that just doesn't make you feel well whether it's gut symptoms or whether it makes you itch or or whatever just ditch it for 21 days to 30 days and see what happens very common allergen that I want to talk about uh, briefly which is very specific is something called MI methyl isothalozyanone and that is um really an additive that's a preservative that improves the shelf life of products like shampoos and soaps look out for it on your packaging because that's one of those allergens the more you come into contact with it the more likely it is to cause contact dermatitis or, or a skin allergy um, i see it quite a lot in my practice so that is one uh, to really look out for as for the future of allergies i think we're still learning about the immune system we don't really know the mechanisms by which allergies actually arise. We, we know what happens, but not the why of the why. And I think once we discover that, we'll be on the road to new therapies. Okay, so that was allergies. A bit of a whistle-stop tour. Really, really big topic. I hope I've done it some justice. I'm sure you've got your own stories. Um, I'd love to hear them, and also suggestions for other topics I can cover on the pod. I hope that's given you some insight into where allergies come from why they're getting worse and a few tips on what we can do about them i'll be with you again in another week but in the meantime i hope you have a good week do look after yourself and until we meet again bye for now